Welcome to Elemental Energy, the podcast where we discuss how to simplify decarbonization. Here, we will introduce emerging low-carbon energy technologies and give you insight on how to navigate and support the evolving energy landscape. It is our goal to develop content to give you confidence to help transition the market and make low-carbon energy reliable and affordable. I'm your host, Marsha Leonard. Everyone, welcome to Elemental Energy. If you have listened to us before, excellent. Welcome back. If you are new to this podcast, we're so happy to have you here. I am a super nerd at heart. Like I have a degree in molecular biology, and I truly believe that biotech has a huge part to play in the energy transition space, as well as the decarbonization space. So I've been following it for a while now. And I'm not the only one who believes that biotech is going to play a huge role in it. There are others out there. So I am joined today by the CEO of Simvita Gold H2. We're going to be discussing biotechnology at a high level, as well as how it's playing a huge role in the production of hydrogen. So without further ado, Charles Nelson, welcome to Elemental Energy. Please go ahead and introduce yourself further. Hey, uh, thank you very much for having me on and uh, excited to be here. So again, I'm uh, Charles Nelson, call me Charlie. And so I serve as the CEO of Gold Hydrogen, which is a spin out company of Sabita, and also serve as the chief operating officer of Sabita. Uh, so it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, hey, we are so happy to have you here. Like I said, biotech is, it's something not not a lot of people are talking about in this space. And I really think that it does need to be recognized. Give us a little bit more of your background and history too, because when when I look back at your history, you have an entrepreneurial spirit too. Like everything you touch is turns to gold, which is kind of funny because your gold H2 title that you're currently at, I just really enjoy seeing your journey. And I think that you need to bring it out a little bit more to talk about how you are really supporting these companies and growth. Sure, definitely. So as far as like a background goes, and by the way, very much appreciate that sense, but, <laughs> but as far as my background goes, you know, I'm a chemical engineer by training and, you know, I've really had a, an interesting path from my time in my early career where I quickly got into oil and gas infrastructure development, actually developing projects from concept to, you know, flowing pipe, you know, flowing gas through a pipe or oil through a terminal. And so had a background of really developing physical assets and understanding all the, the, the contracts, the engineering, what it needs to take to kind of get something from idea into like a physical working art asset. And translated that, you know, the company I was at originally is called Mark West Energy Partners that got sold to Marathon. And, and so I joined a group called Gray Rock Energy, which is a catalyst based company. And, you know, while I was there, served as their chief commercial officer and really started to get into the environmental conversion space. You know, that led us to, well, it's kind of crazy. Right when I joined, oil went from like $100 a barrel down to like $25 a barrel. And, and so we had to reformulate everything and ended up adding in essentially flare gas as one business unit and CO2 processing as another. And those ended up being their own independent companies. So the CO2 one is called Infinium now. It's an electrofuels platform. And, and then we spun out a, a company called ClearShift, 
And, uh, you know, ClearShip built, built multiple assets, you know, in West Texas, North Dakota. And then, you know, from there, uh, you know, met Moji and the crew um, over at Symbita. And they had a particularly interesting angle on processing in general, you know, using biology as a, essentially a processing tool in heavy industries, which I, at the time, had no background in, had very little knowledge of outside of like, hey, there's ethanol plants, and, you know, they, they ferment you know, ferment corn and sugar and whatnot. Um, and so that really kind of opened my eyes to the prospect of using biology in heavy industries, which was the, you know, kind of the thesis behind Sambita as a whole. And, and, you know, so join them as their chief business officer, then to become their chief operating officer at the company and really taking a lot of the technologies that they had and then forming those into more companies, you know, as they all have kind of different theses. One's in mining, you know, one's in you know, hydrogen, the one that uh, I'm the CEO of now. And uh, then we have a whole nother one that produces jet fuel and in SAF to offset soybean, you know, soybean farming, et cetera. So, so yeah, it's, that's kind of been my journey is just really taking the early career experience on building new things and translating that into energy technologies, which a lot of these new up and coming technologies are in their commercialization phase or pre-commercial phase. And uh, so just kind of helping understand where it fits in the industry, what's the right application, uh, which can really make or break how a tech, you know, how successful a technology is in entering into the energy ecosystem. So before we even get into gold hydrogen, I want to touch briefly on some Vita's other technology in the mining space. Okay, so from my understanding, it's a biotech that they send into the earth that helps mine lithium. And copper, yes. Uh, okay. And and easily, like, you know, it's extensible to other metals as well. But I mean, in essence, and again, this isn't my my primary responsibility, so uh, I'll paraphrase High it. Level. But, High level. High <laughs> level. Yeah. So basically, you know, in typical like copper mining, for example, or lithium mining, you know, things are extracted. And copper, let's just use copper as an example. So copper is extracted. So they basically dig it up, put it into these giant heaps, um, they're literally called heaps. And, and then essentially there's like a, you know, sulfuric acid sprinkler system for lack of a better term, you know, some, and then that basically sprays on the rock and that goes down and breaks down the bonds in between the rock and the metal itself. So that goes into solution. And then you go and process it and get your pure copper. About 20% of the world's copper mine, copper that's mined today is actually done using biology. And it does a similar thing. It breaks down that bond between the, the rock and the metal itself. And so what we've done is we've taken those microbes and essentially supercharged them with the intention of being able to access the $250 billion in mined but not extracted copper because it's too low grade to economically extract and using like traditional methods. And so we're really trying to unlock like brand new resources that are already, you know, they've already been extracted, right? The damage is done though, you know, but it's, but it's not economical to extract them. So the, on the mining side, it's all about taking these various extremophiles that can do the same job as the, the sulfuric acid, but essentially it's replacing sulfuric acid entirely using microbes. So you don't end up with red mud, you don't end up with acid mine drainage, and you can economically extract a lot more of the resource that is, that is mined. So you're not, not just going to have to high and mid-grade resource. You can also access low-grade resource. That's it in a nutshell. And again, extensible to other metals, you know, like pick a metal, nickel, you know, cobalt, you name it. 
same type of processes it can be used in those as well. So listeners, this interview gets way cooler when we talk about hydrogen too. That was just a brief excerpt of what biotechnology is playing in the mining and minerals space. Um, before we even dive into it, I always like to ask people who are on elemental energy a very polarizing question. And I would I would like to know your stance on climate change because coming from an oil and gas background, I have one of those as well. It I sit down at Thanksgiving dinner tables and I really have a hard time expressing sometimes my stance with my family. So I like to hear a bunch of different perspectives and I like other people to hear them as well. What is your stance, Charlie? Well, my stance is, you know, it's kind of interesting because like climate change, I mean, it happens. And, you know, I think the big debate that people are missing in the whole climate change thing is like, is it man-made or is it not, right? Like, And so like climate change in general, like, yes, the earth has historically heated up, cooled down. That's a function of, of just planetary physics. Like that, that just happens. Now, you know, of course you put a bunch of CO2, anyone who's done lab experiments, you know, you put a bunch of CO2 in a, you know, a bowl and apply heat, apply heat to it, and it's going to trap heat. So I mean, like just from a you know global scale of that, that's going to happen. So that's like, you know, that's not really a debate. You know, the the thing about how to address it though is 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 something that like I also think that's that's kind of missing in this because you know it's it's irrelevant whether or not we're causing it, frankly. You know, we still only live on Earth. Like we are a single planetary species. So whether or not we caused it like climate change is happening. Like oceans are being measured warmer. So like, I just think that we as a society should have a little bit better control over some of these things than, than we do. So, I mean, like, and we're starting to do that. You know, there's like basically carbon capture, you know, like DAC, for example, is like essentially the first step of terraforming. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of my stance. It's like, yes, it can be measured. I, I think it's kind of a senseless debate as to whether we're causing it or not. I think we need to get a handle on it because it's really like there's a lot at stake in terms of like our critical infrastructure, cities that are built on coasts, like, you know, the the vast majority of of the like society as we know it is built on coasts. So, you know, that that's kind of my stance. It's it's relatively pragmatic. Looking for that oceanfront property in Arizona, it might come true. I mean, you know, it, hey, this I mean, look at look at what's happened historically with, with you know, with the earth. Like you know, the water levels go up, water levels go down. It's how we end up with rock stratification and things like that. So like, it's, I mean, it's happened before. So I, I just think it's, it's kind of a funny debate to begin with. Well, thank you for sharing your perspective. I do appreciate that. Yeah, okay. Perfect. What is gold hydrogen? All right. So gold hydrogen, basically we developed a microbe package that we can inject into depleted, abandoned, end of life, you know, oil assets that that still have a lot of oil up there, right? Like, so those oil assets, you know, when something's called depleted, you know, they're still anywhere between like 30 on the low side and like 80% on the high side of the remaining oil in place. And, and that's a lot of resource to leave down there. And, you know, and so what we could do is we inject these microbes into those oil reservoirs and the microbes go down and essentially heat up the oil and their product is hydrogen. And, and so, and because of that, you know, like the reason why the oil can't cut, get out is because of pressure. And then, so when you turn into hydrogen, all of a sudden you've got a gas, which obviously flows 
And, and so these fields become hydrogen producing assets, essentially. So that is gold hydrogen in a nutshell as a technology. And so, yeah. So I want to clarify something too, because there's this whole color scheme. I can't wait till we actually start classifying hydrogen based off of its carbon intensity, because technically white hydrogen is naturally occurring hydrogen and there are drilling productions who are out there trying to hit these hydrogen pockets. Like Australia is a huge one to take note of, but there's, they're also calling it gold hydrogen. So there's a little bit of a, like a disconnect and naming, but what my true belief is, is if you guys capitalize the gold hydrogen to be derived from microorganisms, like that is a good differentiation just to mention, because there are other places out there who are calling gold hydrogen something different. So we just want to clarify that in this sense, gold hydrogen is derived off of microbiology, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Gold hydrogen is is derived off of microbiology. So it's hydrogen produced in the subsurface, yeah, using biology as as we define it. Now, of course, you know, there's it seems like there's a new color that crops up every month. We may have exacerbated that problem, but the uh, but yeah, in general, like I, I'm I'm with you. Like as much as I love the the marketing around gold hydrogen, it really just comes down to carbon intensity, and and that's that's what's going to be the true measure uh, of success in, in hydrogen and and how you really stack them up. Okay, so Charlie, explain how you guys are actually utilizing. Like you started to touch on how you're utilizing ex- existing infrastructure to send down these microbiomes into wells, but give me like the the bigger process. Where are you guys at and actually implementing this? Is it become a commercialized, like is it actually producing commercialized hydrogen yet? Where are we at in the phases of production? Yeah, so we developed this in the lab and kind of got to our production numbers that we needed in terms of yield, et cetera. And now, and then we took that out, did it in a downhole test, already. So we already completed that last summer. So right now we're just kind of on the cusp. It's like, we've already got our, our first commercial production unit. We needed to manufacture this piece of equipment specific to our needs to be able to do this continuously and commercially. So we've got the first one of those manufactured. We're planning on doing a couple more. So, you know, I would say that, you know, by the, uh, basically my target is by, you know, the, the end of next year, we want to have three fields being, you know, commercially demonstrated. And really it's pretty quick for us to get into commercial production after that. So we're right on the cusp of, of actually commercially producing this stuff. And so, I mean, we really, it's execution phase at this point in time, you know, our mantra is let's generate as much hydrogen as quickly as possible. So that that's, that's where we're at as a company. What have you guys got the cost of hydrogen down to? I can't say specifically, but it is in the, like, our target is sub $1 a kilogram. Stop. Oh my gosh. Isn't blue hydrogen right now sitting at like six to nine? Green is, I believe, I mean, you know, every hydrogen like cost is a little different because it's like mainly variable OPEX. So like green is just how cheap can you get power? You know, blue is tied to the price of natural gas and then obviously the carbon sequestration that has to be bolted onto it. But yeah, I mean, you know, like the the idea here is that like we believe that we are going to become the marginal cost producer of hydrogen. I don't disbelieve you either because the use of pre-existing assets that are already in place and what you guys are saving on not having to build more infrastructure 
is huge. Like that in my mind is circular economy at its finest. Yep. It's such a brilliant idea. Okay. So this sounds very sci-fi for people. Like when I was sitting there explaining this to my father-in-law, he's like, oh goodness, this sounds like what happens if it ran off and just, you know, these biotechnologies took over and you couldn't control it. And I was like, okay, that's a very good question. How are you guys actually controlling to make sure that those microorganisms are staying down hole and only eating the oil in that hole? Where's the containment factor? Yeah. So, you know, the control of the, this, the entire biome down there is, it's actually an already established thing. So, you know, it's, it's important to note that like oil reservoirs are not just full of oil and nothing else. Like currently oil reservoirs today actually have fairly active biological communities in them. And, you know, that's like a lot of the reason why some wells have H2S, for example, there is sulfate reducing bacteria. And so the, when you look at how to control this, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, one, you know, when we put our package down holes, it's not just microbes that we have to put down there. We have to feed them. So there's nutrients that come along with that. If you don't feed them those nutrients, they die. So it's, so that's a pretty simple one right there. And then secondly, there's, you know, there's loads of different companies that have biocide packages that are commonly used in, for instance, soured wells. And so biociding, you know, if you really have to, uh, you know, once again, that's an established piece of the oil and gas industry right now is controlling biology downfall. So you're essentially feeding that well yogurt is what I'm hearing. <laughs> just, Hopefully a little less viscous, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> just just making sure it's getting its probiotics. It's not yeah. the best it is. Okay. Okay. Uh, we call it a multivitamin, but yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. A well multivitamin. I like it. There's a term we use in power generation and it just makes me laugh every time it's called zombie peaker. It's when you take a coal fired facility and you run a gas line into it and you just run the heck out of it until it dies and you know, it's going to be a zombie. And that's why I'm kind of like, Ooh, these are like zombie wells. They're going to come back to life with all of this amazing biotechnology. <laughs> well, that's, that's the intent here. No. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So we talked about how we prevent it from running away. What about seeps occurring? Like when it comes down to hydrogen, hydrogen obviously has a really big impact on emissions as well. How are you guys actually making sure that it's contained in that space? Well, I mean, that just comes down to operational philosophy for us. I mean, you know, it's not just about getting it out of the ground, but it's also about making sure that it's, you know, safely and effectively transported to its final destination. You know, it comes down to just a very strong integrity management testing program, you know, across any of the surface level assets we have to do, strong monitoring, just use of, you know, best available technologies to, to make sure that we monitor, you know, it's about getting the right seals and gaskets and all that stuff in place. So, yeah, I mean, in terms, but, you know, in terms of what we're looking at there, it's, you know, it's just making sure that you have the right operational philosophy, both from a safety and environmental stewardship standpoint. I'm glad to know that you're thinking about all of those things like post, because it is very important to keep designing with safety in mind in the hydrogen space yeah. because of how volatile of a gas it is. So I'm thankful to hear that you guys are looking at that as well. Now, all the time. <laughs> 
explain who is your customer base? Like once you guys get the current commercialization well test in place, what are the next phases for you guys? How can we support getting you to the right customers? Yeah, I, I think I'd see, you know, the, the way to think about our company is that we are essentially a hydrogen EMP company. So like essentially we are our own customer. Now, you know, different, you know, there, there's different circumstances. So in some circumstances, we'll license to an existing operator, but, you know, we trend towards owner operating models. So I would say that the best way to describe it is we are our own customer. So you guys own assets right now as far as wells and stuff go in order to produce the hydrogen off of them? We're in process. I can't speak too too deeply on that, but we're we're in process. Okay. Sorry. Curiosity. I know. It's my it's, it's my all good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm trying to figure out next best steps for you. What does Simvita need right now? What is what is this gold hydrogen spinoff of Simvita need other than funding? Well, I mean, you know, right now, and, and honestly, it's so as far as what we're doing, you know, again, it's just execution, execution, execution for us. You know, we're already very confident in the technology itself. And so now it's it's really just about aligning with the right parties, the right partners, the right, you know, we, we've got a really solid team already on board to execute, but, you know, we intend on growing that team. So if anyone's listening and is interested, you know, just hit me up. But the, but yeah, I mean, in general, it's, it's just about making sure that we execute properly and execute safely, effectively, cost effectively. And so that's, that's pretty much our roadmap. Like we, we feel really confident in, in the next, you know, in the next 12 to 18 months and what we're doing and how that translates into our three and five year plan. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, there's, there's all of the known unknowns. And, and then it's just making sure that we got the right problem solvers and the right people to, you know, handle the unknown unknowns as they come up. Farley, I am so excited to see the growth, to be a part of this vision. Thank you so much for coming on Elemental Energy and sharing this insight and this future of hydrogen. For everybody listening, as always, stay safe. Most importantly, stay happy. Make sure that you go into the day and make somebody else smile because that's what truly life is about. Charlie, anything else you want to sign off and tell our friends at? No, uh, I think this has been great and I really appreciate you having me on and, you know, look forward if uh, anyone's interested, you know, we're, I'm always available. So hit me up and uh, we can have a chat about some gold hydrogen. I really appreciate you having me on today. Yes. Excellent. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you're notified every time a podcast is released. Find Elemental Energy on Facebook and connect with me, Marsha Leonard, on LinkedIn. But lastly and most importantly, share this podcast with your family and your friends, especially if you are in the energy industry and you're having an influence on the path of decarbonization. I'm on this journey figuring things out and I want you guys to come along. So the closer I can get to you and the more I can connect with you, the better this show will be and become. Yeah, and I uh, really appreciate that. I hope my uh, climate change answer wasn't too weird, but that's just kind of how I feel. Uh, so No. Um, so what you're talking about, if you want a like a word to the earth going in cycles. It's called periodicity.
Oh, there we go. Okay. Periodicity. Periodicity. And I believe that. I believe like the, yes, the earth does go in cycles. But do you remember when there was a huge hole in the ozone because people were like using, gosh, I can't remember, phenol something and hairspray and refrigerants. Do you remember this? Yeah. Over London it was. And there was another one that was, yeah. And then it healed itself. Because uh, we removed it from our use. Like we pulled uh, it out of refrigerants. We pulled it out of Aquanet hairspray, which I could use obviously. But that is like what really kind of enlightened me on that. We're never going to make more carbon. It's There's only so much carbon in the earth. We're not producing more, but where it is placed really does have an effect on the atmosphere. And so that's why all of us coming together with a goal of decarbonization, it it is speeding up our earth heating like carbon emissions are after everything that I've done on research and stuff, because I didn't believe in climate change at all. I was like a periodicity fanatic. I was like, oh no, we're just going in cycles. And then I was like, Al Gore, yeah, right, whatever. And then the more like I started researching it, I was like, oh, the guy's on to something like he really had a good grasp on it before a lot of other people did. So that's my stance on it, which is it's hard to explain to my oil and gas family. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the exact same stance. I mean, both of those things happen in concert, right? The periodicity is a real thing. But also, if you put a closed system and pump a bunch of CO2 in it and have light shining on it, you are going to heat up that system more than otherwise. You know, the periodicity is still occurring. It's just an acceleration of the cycle. And so it's like, you know, the, the, the more people start to think about this Earth as a giant, like, science experiment, essentially, and and we you know everything impacts it you know you increase the concentration of gas in any closed system and it's going to have an impact on things like you know so that's what i was trying kind of trying to get across there it's like but i mean my my firm belief is also that like the like we need to be able to terraform our own planet you know what i mean like because that like we should be able to cool down our planet if we need to and then like it's like I, it's, it's shocking to me that there's not more attention paid to technologies like that especially when we're talking about going to mars and you're like well all those technologies and you can change the you know the entire ecosystem that's also very valuable valuable and translatable to entire other planets as well because like you know you look at the 500 year future of humanity and that's we're gonna have to do that 